I should be a little fearful when members of the church uh, worshiping group brings tomatoes. Um, in case my sermon is bad, you can start throwing tomatoes or heads of lettuce, bacon, bread, and I'll make good use of those things. So, anyway, we are in the uh, book of Jonah in, of course, in the Old Testament, one of the uh, prophets of God we refer to as the uh, minor prophet. We've been talking about the depth of God's grace. Um, we've seen, so far, we've seen God's grace uh, spoken to Jonah, that he would take the message of God's love and the message of the need of redemption to the people of Nineveh. We remember that Jonah ran from that responsibility, but God also showed grace to those sailors who were in the midst of the storm, who feared for their lives, and God showed grace to them, though it um, cost a person his life. Boy, is there a sermon. Don't we see in Jonah being thrown overboard and peace coming? The same in Christ Jesus who gave his life up for us and brought peace. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Just like three days later, Jonah was brought up to the shore. Yes, even in the Old Testament, we see the gospel the grace of God clearly um, shown. And today, uh, we also saw God's grace shown to Jonah while he was in the belly of the fish. And God listened to his cry. and The fish vomited him up on the shore. And today, we're going to see God's grace at work once again as Jonah brings the message of the need for repentance and forgiveness. It's the response to God's grace that we turn back to God, that we repent of the sins of our lives. So we are in Jonah chapter 3, and our theme today is that it, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. I think I told the story maybe here, uh, throw a tomato at me if, I, if I've told this story before, but there was a lady who visited our church in California for the first time, uh, an older gal, and um, she came and she sat about three quarters of the way back on that side, and after church I made my way to her for I'd seen that she was new and um, I reached over the pew and introduced myself, and she looked at me in the eye and said, I didn't like the music this morning. And I don't know what came over me, but I looked her back in the eye and said, well, that's okay, because we weren't singing to you anyway. <laughs> and as soon as those words were out of my mouth, I thought, ooh, that is probably not a good thing to say. But she came back, and she came back, and she came back, and she came back. And um, we ended up having a prayer meeting in her home. And she would tell me that um, she needed that reminder 
But church is not about you, but it's about God. We're going to look at that today in Jonah chapter 3. Let me read it for you, and then we can see if we can make some comments and draw more of God's truth. And the word of the Lord, well, we should start in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I don't know what Jonah looked like at that moment, but it probably wasn't very pleasing. I've, as I said last week, I've lived on the coast most of my life, and I have happened upon uh, dead seals and dead whales. And let me tell you that what exudes from a fish that's been on the beach for three or four days does not smell very well at all. I can only imagine what Jonah smelled like coming out of the belly of this fish. Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh, Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey across. Jonah began to go into the city, uh, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And all the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles that neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, And how they turned from their evil, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Nineveh was an exceedingly violent area. That whole part of the Fertile Crescent continued to raise up nation after nation that would come in and uh, gruesomely take over other nations. The Assyrians, the Babylonians. And Nineveh was was part of that. Nineveh wasn't the capital city, but it was the uh, center of commerce. It's where people would go. It was more like a New York or a San Francisco than it was a Washington, D.C., and that is where God says, sends Nineveh. Remember now, way back in the first chapter, God said to, to um, Jonah, I said Nineveh, didn't I? Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah 
turns and goes the other way and goes to Tarshish. And we said that Tarshish from Nineveh was about 2,500 miles in the other direction. We don't know how far Jonah got in that journey, but he was going the other way. God brings Jonah back to the beach. God says to Jonah, now, I'll say it a second time. I'll give you a little grace again. Go and proclaim what I tell you to proclaim to the Ninevites. Now, where Jonah had tried to go uh, 2,500 miles in one direction, he sits on the beach and is now still 500 miles to Nineveh. That's kind of like going from uh, here to Denver, except a lot more wilderness. And Jonah had to walk that journey, and I'm sure as he walked, he thought much about uh, God's word to him and the time on the ship and the time in the fish. And we need to remember this about Jonah. Jonah did not like the Ninevites. None of Israel liked the Ninevites. And he was really against going there because they were a terrible, rotten people who did not deserve God's grace. But God, the Lord, thought otherwise. And Nineveh was a great city. In fact, um, it says in verse 2 that it was a great city. And a little farther on, it was, says it is an exceedingly great city. That word great um, is used uh, at least 10 times in these four short chapters. It's a recurring theme about the greatness of the fish and the greatness of the city the greatness of the message of God's compassion. It was a great city. And the story jumps quickly to uh, Jonah getting there and began to go into that city. Now the scriptures say here that it was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Now if you're using the English Standard Version, um, that word breadth is there. And some of your other verses it is in length. In the Hebrew scriptures, that word is not there. It just says that it was three days. And it really talks about the expanse of Nineveh. I can't think of a city that is um, three days across. To travel a day's journey was anywhere between 20 and 25 miles. Well, that would make it about 75 miles across. That would be an exceedingly great, big, long city. But that's not what it's referring to here. It's referring to the expanse, the things that are taking place in that city. It's, um, it's kind of like if you go to Disneyland, or I guess in this part of the world, to Disney World. And if you go there, you can buy... Um, what they call in, in, at Disneyland, in California, they call the Hopper Pass. And in Disneyland, California, we have Disneyland and we have California Adventure. And I realize at Disney World here, there's this and this and this land and this land and this park. And, 
but they have these hopper passes because they realize that um, this three-day pass is what you need to really experience Disneyland or Disney World. You can't experience it all in one day. You need to spend three days there or a week there to see it all. And that's what it's talking about here for Nineveh. They're saying Nineveh is a big place. It's got a lot of sites and people and streets, buildings. And if you're going to see it all, it was going to take three days. It's a big place. Verse 4 says, And Jonah began to go into the city a day's journey. He didn't get around the city very much. It would take three days, like I said, to see it all. Jonah only sees the first part. He only gets in a, a little bit, and he starts his message of calling people to repentance. Forty days. In 40 days, God is going to destroy Nineveh. That 40 days shows up often in Scripture. We remember the children of Israel 40 days in the wilderness because of their disobedience. We remember of Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness to prepare himself for the ministry God would have for him. That place where he was tempted by Satan. And there is the 40 days from the resurrection to Christ's ascension into heaven. The 40 days are an important thing. It, it talks about the, the fullness of what is to be accomplished. So Jonah goes in just a little bit in the city. He hasn't covered it all, but the message of repentance the message of the demise of Nineveh quickly found itself throughout the city. And people began to repent. Usually in the ancient Near East, um, something big has to happen in order to get the people to put on sackcloth and ashes. That's not just something that's uh, singular to uh, Israel. It was a response. If there was a... Um, a full eclipse of the sun. The people would take that as a bad omen and they would put on sackcloth and ashes seeking the favor of the gods that they worshipped. There could be a, an army making its way to that city and the city would put on sackcloth and ashes and hoping to appease their gods to stop that battle. And so this is a common response to a message of woe. And the message even reaches the king. And the message changes the king's heart. And he issues a proclamation from the throne that everybody, even animals, should not eat or drink, but wear sackcloth and sit in ashes and call out mightily to God. I think it needs to be said that the God of Israel, 
Yahweh was maybe known by the Ninevites, definitely not known too well. And I don't think it's without design that um, we move from using Yahweh, his name, the I am, to the generic name of God, Elohim. We don't know this God personally, but let's call out to him. Maybe he will relent from this, from his anger. We would not perish. God shows his grace. God shows his mercy. God shows his compassion. And he relents. He didn't do what he promised to do or said he would do. God held back. Reminds me of Sodom and Gomorrah where he was going to destroy it all. But Abraham pleaded and pleaded and pleaded and got down to just a small family. God, if there's a small family that believes in you that haven't turned their heart, would you relent? And God doesn't relent as much as he says, I'll give you time to get those people out. And God's justice comes upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And even for Jesus, the the example of Nineveh turning is an example that he would use about people's need to repent. Now, it should be said that um, Nineveh did, um, did not follow God wholeheartedly. They returned to their evil. They will eventually, through uh, the Assyrians and others, come and, and uh, massacre portions of Israel and take them off into bondage. They didn't follow God for long, but God relented. God gave, because of his grace, God gave them the opportunity to come to him though there would be justice someday. God shows his grace to our world today. He is giving us opportunity to follow him. He's given us the opportunity to share his grace with others, but there will come a judgment those who choose to live without God, those who choose to live in their own evil will suffer God's righteous judgment. But for now, for us, and for the people around us, grace is still operative. We have the opportunity. In fact, God calls us as followers of Jesus, his church, to go forth and spread the Good news, the gospel of grace, that God is holding back, that God will relent if we surrender our lives to Jesus. And let's uh, remember that 
Again, our title for today, that it's not about you, it's, it's about God. Remember, it's God's sending of Jonah, not Jonah's willingness to go. It's God's message to the people of Nineveh, not Jonah's message. It's God's work of conviction and effectiveness, of change of heart, not Jonah's. It was God's act of forgiveness, of relenting, as we'll see specifically next week, not Jonah's. Jonah was just the messenger of the good news that God would relent if hearts were turned. And we have the responsibility, as I've stated earlier, to uh, obey God. And as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are called to obey because it's not how we feel. But it's about what God has given us to do. God says to us in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in his name and the name of the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And that we are to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And as we do that, God is with us. We'll never leave us. He's with us to the end of the age. You see this go and make disciples thing? It's not about you. It's about God. And you really don't have the right to say, I'm not going to do it. If you do, if you choose the 2,500-mile journey away from God, just be ready for bellies of fish. Because God will do what needs to be done to bring you back. But we don't have the option to not go and make disciples. God doesn't say, I want you to go if you feel like it. If you can fit it into your schedule. If it doesn't ruffle you at all, then you could go and but if you don't want to, it's okay because I'm fine with disobedience. No, we're not given that option. We are told, as Paul says in Romans 10, that we are to preach the good news, preach the gospel, preach God's grace. Paul says, forever who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call unless someone goes and preaches to them the good news? The good news that Jesus died on the cross for us, took upon himself um, our sin, took upon him himself our punishment, and he became the sacrificial one to die in our place, the holy one for the unholy. 
And then he rose triumphantly three days later to show that it worked. The gospel was true. God's grace is effective. Lives can be changed. Jesus says, because I live, you too shall live. That's, that's the message we bring. The message of the gospel. Anything short of that just misses it. If all we do is clothe the naked and feed the hungry, but don't give them the gospel, we've missed it. God, as Jesus said to the religious leaders, you make them twice as fit for hell. Because they think they got it, but they really didn't hear the gospel. They didn't hear about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the good news that comes out of that. I remember the story um, from Billy Graham that he was in the beginning days of his uh, evangelistic ministry and scores of people, maybe hundreds of people were coming forward. And one night he went out and he preached and he gave the call and hardly anybody came forward, just a few. And he was discouraged, downtrodden, and he went and talked to um, his father-in-law and so I don't know what's, what happened. How come the people didn't come? And his father-in-law looked at him and he said, because you didn't preach the cross. If you don't preach the cross of Jesus Christ, people have no reason to come forward. If you don't point out the sin and the redemption from sin that's possible in the person of Jesus Christ, people have no reason to come forward. That's the message we are to preach. And we also need to remember, though, it's ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you preach the good news. You tell people about Jesus. And then step back a little bit and let the Holy Spirit talk. For Jesus says in John 16, he says, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to come and do conviction. Let the Holy Spirit do it. We don't have to point our bony fingers at people and point out all of their sin and wrongdoing. The Holy Spirit will do a fine job with that. We love them to the kingdom. And remember, ultimately, it's about God and his glory. I like, I think the verse that was on for Awana, on the Awana slide I think this is the verse that was up there from Ephesians 3. Where's Brian? Was I, am I right? Yeah, close. It's in the Bible. You know. But Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more, far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think, you know that neighbor that you say, there's no way that they're going to come to Jesus. That coworker, there's no way they're going to come to Jesus. That schoolmate, that classmate, you say, there's no way they're going to come to Jesus. That child, that spouse, no way are they going to come to Jesus. Let's remember now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. 
according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.